At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Worship team, a round of applause. Thank God that He has given us a worship team. Hallelujah. You may be seated, church. I'm so grateful that we're here uh, for a third week in a row, right, that it's starting to feel a little bit normal. So I want to encourage you uh, that we are going to have a very interactive service today, if that's okay. So when I say, can I get an amen, you say, amen. you are already blowing first service out of the water. Great job. You guys are doing great. So I want to start in a place that's actually a little tough to start. So we're going to start low and we're going to build our way up. There's a reason we sung In Christ Alone because we need to understand this doctrinal principle uh, about reconciliation. Now when we hear reconciliation, some of us think about forgiveness. Now forgiveness can be a hard word to hear. Forgiveness can be a tough concept to grasp because when we hear the word forgiveness... I'm imagining someone comes to mind. I'm imagining something in your life comes to mind. Perhaps something that you need to ask forgiveness for. Perhaps someone that you think should apologize to you. Does anybody have someone in, that, in their life like that? Okay, yeah. So you understand this concept of forgiveness and how it's a tough thing. But forgiveness can happen without repentance. Only through repentance can reconciliation happen, though. So restoring something back to where it once was can only happen through repentance. So forgiveness and repentance are a little bit of a different thing. But as we think about the forgiveness that we're desperate for in these earthly relationships, whether it's a father and a son, whether it's a mother and a daughter, whether it's a brother and a sister, whether it's a current spouse or an ex-spouse, whatever it might be, these earthly relationships can be tough when we think about forgiveness. But ultimately, they form a picture of our heavenly relationship with our Father, that if we are walking in unforgiveness on earth, then it does inform a bit of the relationship that we have with our Father in heaven. If we can walk in unforgiveness and unrepentance here without anything being changed, then God wants to speak to us today. But the reality is some of you here, up under the sound of my voice, don't know him today. And you don't know him as Father today. You think that maybe he's just a creator or that he's just the the main character in some storybooks or whatever it is. Maybe you have known him as a father, though, and he was once close to you, but now you feel distance from God. Or perhaps you think that my deeds in my life that I've committed, my sins in my life, there's no way God could receive me. There's no way anyone could ever love me again because I've just done too many things that are wrong. And as we look at this, and this is the difficult part about it, that if you feel distance from God today, because of you that if we feel the displeasure of our father it's not because of him it's because of our own sin now in that difficult statement to hear there's actually profound hope on the back end right that as we look at psalm chapter 51 today we're going to see a profound hope that we see as king david steps in these five steps, five stanzas in Psalm 51, as he's stepping from being desperate, a desperate plea for mercy, back into celebration of salvation. So as we can see that maybe we're separated from our humanly relationships on earth, maybe we're separated from our heavenly father, maybe we have displeasure that we're feeling from God, maybe we have distance that we're feeling from God. Again, that is on us because he is perfect and holy and good and just and righteous and never changes. So if we feel something negative about God, 
God, chances are it lives with inside of us. Now, again, that is hard, but there is profound hope that in that truth, there's reconciliation when we stop minimizing our sin. When we stop pointing the finger at the other person after we have exploded or snapped at somebody and said, well, they shouldn't have said that to me, so they got what they had coming. No, 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 that is wrong. That is sin. That is not the way that things are going to go. So as, as we experience the hope of this reconciliation in our humanly relationships, as well as our relationship with God, we're going to look at reconciliation that comes through repentance, that comes from forgiveness, that comes from confession, that ultimately starts with conviction. So as we are continuing in our series called Assembly Required, We're in our second week of the series where we're going to journey through some psalms. And we saw last week that psalms are poetry, they're psalms, they're they're songs, they're prayers, uh, they're prayers of lament, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of of restoration and reconciliation, prayers of celebration, all kinds of beautiful things that we see here in the psalms. And these psalms are meant to reinforce our conviction of why we're here today. Reinforce our conviction of why Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we saw last week that we sit up under the teaching of God's word because we gather to delight in God's word. Today we're going to gather for another reason. We're going to see another reason for why we gather, and that is for the confession of sin, that we gather corporately in order to confess sin. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to call on anyone today, right? I'm not going to pass the microphone around. Nobody's going to have to come up here in the spotlight or anything like that. If you want to, we can talk about that later, but it's okay. It's not going to happen today. But the, the gathering for the confession of sin is something that can be so fruitful in our own lives but if we do it as a congregation can you imagine what would happen jesus changed the entire world with 12 people who were on fire could you imagine what would happen if we understood that we gather to delight in god's word and we understand that we gather to confess our sins corporately one to another and that god is just and righteous to forgive us that there is this beautiful promise that we see one of these most one of these important promises that we do together in worship is the confession of sin so don't worry but don't check out because just ba- based on the law of averages there's probably one sin that needs to be confessed in this congregation amen It's you if you said amen, okay? So there's more than one. That's good. I say amen right alongside you. So as as we continue in this series, and if we know and understand that our sin earns the displeasure of God and earns distance from God because he cannot reside with that which is unholy, that light and darkness cannot dwell together, but he has made a way for us to be holy, that we are going to dive right into Psalm chapter 51. So open your Bibles to Psalm 51. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well, but it's so important that you see what the word of God has to say for a couple reasons. The word of God will never pass away, and I say amen and hallelujah to that, that this word is here to stay, and you also need to know that I'm not standing up here lying to you, right? You need to read the word for yourself. So you got to get in the word, Psalm chapter 51, and Psalm 51 has something in front of it called a superscription. Have you ever wondered what those all caps letters are before a psalm? That's called a superscription. That's the word for the day, right? Uh, So what it is, is basically a description of what is happening in this psalm. The superscription of Psalm 51 says it is is assigned to the choir master, which means it's meant to be sung. It's a psalm of David, so David wrote it. We know who the author is, and it tells us when it happened. After God sent Nathan the prophet to David after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we understand Psalm 51 is primarily a psalm begging for forgiveness, but it ultimately ends in celebration. So why this superscription is important is because of the story of David and Bathsheba. Now many of us know this story, and I've worked very hard this week to tell the story 
of David and Bathsheba with children who are 16 months old as well as people that are 65 years old. Hallelujah. All right, good. So what happened is this. So David was a king. All right, now, kids, I need you. I need the children. I need you to listen to me especially. Okay, so David was a king, right? Was David a very special king? Yes is the right answer. Good job. Good job. So David, he was a very special king in Israel. He was somebody that God chose, a very, very special man. And he was probably Israel's greatest king, greatest humanly king, greatest earthly king. If you can't follow me, that's okay. We'll get there. And David, one day... It was a spring evening, and in the spring, kings were supposed to go out to war. So David wasn't where he was supposed to be because he was still in the palace. Have you ever been somewhere that you weren't supposed to be? Amen. Good. That's good. This is why I love preaching to kids because they tell the truth all the time, right? So David was somewhere that he wasn't supposed to be, and because he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be, he saw something he wasn't supposed to see. Say, he saw something he wasn't supposed to see. Somebody say it with me. Come on, he saw something he wasn't supposed to see, right? So there was a woman named Bathsheba, hi. She was very, very pretty. She was a beautiful woman, but she was somebody else's wife, right? So for David, he saw somebody else's wife doing something that was only meant to be done in private. And David had feelings for this woman that were only meant to be had between husbands and wives. So David, here's where he commit this big sin. He saw a woman taking a bath that was supposed to be done in private. And then he said, in my heart, I want to have a relationship with her that is only meant to have between she and her own husband. So he did that anyway, and it didn't stop there. So David made a terrible mistake by not being where he was supposed to be, by seeing something he wasn't supposed to see, by having feelings he wasn't supposed to have, and then ultimately by doing something he wasn't supposed to do. They had a relationship that was inappropriate, that was only supposed to happen between one husband and one wife. And then Bathsheba got pregnant. So David thought, she's not my wife and this is a really big problem for my life. She has a husband. Her husband's name is Uriah and he's actually a captain in my army. And he's a good friend of mine. He's a very faithful soldier. He's a good man. But I can't have Uriah come back and find out that I was the one who spent time with his wife and now she's pregnant. So David uh, tried to I, won't, I can't say that in front of kids. So David tried to do something that didn't work out, and then ultimately he had Uriah killed in the war. So David is, is just compiling these sins on top of each other. He's doing terrible things, and he's getting in trouble, all because he wasn't, he wasn't somewhere where he was supposed to be, and he allowed darkness to creep into his heart. Now, all that story, right? David is the king of Israel. He seemingly gets away with it as far as Bathsheba's concerned. He seemingly gets away with it as far as Uriah's concerned, as far as the army's concerned, and as far as the nation of Israel is concerned. But there's a line in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27. It says this, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That even if people seem like they're getting away with something on earth, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That the Lord is just and righteous at all times. No matter what's going on, the Lord sees it and the Lord will judge it. So even though David had deceived an entire nation, he did not deceive God. God sent a prophet named Nathan and Nathan told a story and David said a character in that story deserves to die. Nathan said, that's actually you. And David was convicted of his sin. He deceived a nation, he deceived Bathsheba and Uriah, but he could not deceive God. Following this confrontation, this is where we get to Psalm chapter 51, that David wrote this psalm because of these feelings that he had, because he was already forgiven, but Psalm 51 shows us that he's still dealing with pain and hurt and heartbreak from the consequences of his sin. Has anyone ever, any here ever been forgiven, but the consequences of your sin still hurt? 
Amen, right? So we can all pay attention here. So he's showing that he's still dealing primarily with the brokenness of relationship between he and God. But Psalm 51 is basically like a roadmap. It's a journey back into right relationship with God. It's a journey from sin and desperation and, and being uh, desperate for mercy and being filthy and being caught in all kinds of terrible things back into the celebration of our salvation. It's a beautiful hope of understanding our own brokenness and finding a way back into the presence of God. So if there's a way for David, there's a way for me. Somebody say that. If there was a way for David, there is a way for me. The big idea today is that cleansing and joy come through confession. Cleansing and joy come through confession. So if you want to be made clean and if you want to be happy, that comes through confession. Hallelujah. So as we've looked at the Psalms for a couple weeks now, we know that they're poetry. And as you read poetry, we know it's much more than just words. Structure matters a lot. It's more than just syntax. So this this poem, this song, has five stanzas in it. The the first stanza and the fifth stanza, the first two verses and the last two verses, kind of act as as a capsule. They encapsulate the rest of this psalm, the the three stanzas in the middle, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time, the three stanzas in the middle. Cleansing and joy come through confession. So what we're going to see is that this is a journey, that David is walking the journey and writing us a roadmap of how we can move from depression and filthiness and sin to cleanliness and joy in salvation. I'm so grateful. So each stanza is a step along this journey. The second stanza where we're going to start, open your Bible, Psalm 51. If you don't have a Bible, you need to bring a Bible to church. If you uh, don't have a Bible in your house, let me know. I will buy you one. If you can't afford one, let me know and I'll figure out what you're spending your money on and you should be spending on a Bible, okay? That's a joke. You're allowed to laugh. Okay, I know we're talking about sin and forgiveness and repentance, and it's hard, but we can still have fun. Amen. So point number one, stanza number two in Psalm 51, verses three through six, is know and own your sin. That you must know and own your sin. Verse three starts with, for I know my transgressions. David says, I know I've made a mistake. The reason he starts with begging for mercy is because he understands the depth of his sin. He's painfully aware of his sin, and then it says that his sin is ever before him, or right in front of him. So even though he's received forgiveness, sometimes the consequences of the sin can still hurt us. So David says, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. It's right in front of me. It's right in my face. I understand what's going on. Many of us under here can understand deep grief as well. You can understand when you've committed an error, when you've committed a sin, and the pain is with you. The pain is in front of you because you don't want to hurt people. You don't want to hurt yourself, and ultimately you don't want to hurt God. So we understand what this deep grief feels like but then he says something that we may not fully be able to resonate with david says in verse four against you and you only have i sinned O lord now as we understand that story it seems like david sinned against more people than just god right it seems like david's inappropriate relationship with a married woman he sinned against bathsheba david having that married woman's husband killed he sinned against uriah David not being at war when he was supposed to have been at war in the spring when kings were supposed to be there, he sinned against the army. And then lying to an entire nation as a king, he sinned against his nation Israel. So how can he say that he's only sinned before God? 
Now, David is not saying this to minimize sin. He's not saying this to say that my sins that I've committed against these people are not important. What he's trying to say is that my sin is so deep that it was first against God. That even if we sin against ourselves in secret, you are sinning against God. Because we are created in his image. Because we are his creation. We are his creatures. So even if we sin in a private way, that's not hurting anybody. I've heard that lots of times as a pastor. You've probably heard that and said that yourself. Amen? <laughs> okay, y'all didn't want to get in trouble. That's all right. Uh, so sin is ultimately unto God. So if David's sin is first against God, and he understands that he first then needs to receive forgiveness from God, that if he's not forgiven by God, then he can't truly be forgiven. So David's posture is, I'm going to throw myself at God in need of mercy. I'm going to throw myself down and say how desperate I am. I'm not going to justify myself, even though David was a mighty man, even though David was a special king, even though David had done numerous exploits for God's glory he does not say remember all that stuff I did for you God no he says I am messed up and I need help David owns his brokenness because God shined a light on it and then in verse 6 it says in my inward being and my secret heart all of us have deep places deep recesses in our souls where there's things that live in there that only we know about and the problem is that if we don't address those things, there's a great English pastor named John Owen. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Now, if we don't address these things, then it's going to come out and it's going to spill onto your spouse or it's going to spill onto the beautiful woman who belongs to somebody else who you saw bathing at night and then you had her husband killed and then you sinned against an army and a whole nation, right? Now, just because this is a story in the Bible does not mean it's a, it can't be a true story. This is a true story and a story that can actually happen in any one of our lives that might look just a little bit different. But we have to understand the deep recesses of our soul that, that we can't search out on our own, that we need God to shine a light on that. It's like finding something in the dark. Now, how many of you ever tried to look for something in a dark room? Yeah. How many of you ever tripped over something at like a sleepover or at a hotel, right? When you wake up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you're like, oh, who put that autumn in here, right? Because you don't understand when things are in the dark. Now that can happen in our hearts as well, that sometimes you bump into something in your heart that you didn't even know was there because it's gone unaddressed for so long that at work, somebody looks at you the wrong way and you snap at them, right? Or, or your spouse says, why didn't you do the dishes? And you say, well, I did them yesterday. It's like, whoa relax like you don't have to go there but when we bump into these things that live in the darkness of our own heart we need God to shine a light on this we need to acknowledge our own spiritual darkness so that then we can ask God to shine a light on this dark sin that lives in our heart because the path back to joy in God requires us to know and own our sin we should pray for God to convict us somebody say prayer for conviction it doesn't sound good, right? That doesn't sound like much fun, does it? How many of us pray, oh God, please convict me today, right? Like that's not a prayer that we commonly pray because conviction does not feel good. It's something that most of us dread. It's not condemnation. Condemnation comes from the devil. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Those are very different things. So we don't often pray for it. But if we think about it from David's perspective, that David 
had sinned against God. He had sinned against all kinds of people and create and, and uh, done grievous errors. So as we think about the things that could have happened to David, that God had every right to do to David, that David took Uriah's life, so God could have easily said, I'm going to trade your life for Uriah's. You killed Uriah, I'm going to kill you. God could have poured out all of his wrath upon David. God could have removed his blessing from David and said, I've given you a kingdom. That there's this, there's this address that happens in 1 and 2 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, rather, where God says, like, Don't, didn't I give you everything you needed? Everything you have, I gave to you, and it's all good stuff. But when we consider the alternatives that could have happened in David's life, we realize that conviction is actually grace. That conviction is actually good. So when God sent Nathan to convict David of his sin, that was actually God's love and God's grace. So if you've ever been called out for sin by one of your brothers or your sisters, don't, don't get all defensive and jump at them. Say, thank you. Thank you that you are helping me. Thank you that you are causing me to know and own my own sin. Because if I can't figure out the sin that lives inside of me, it's going to spill out onto somebody one day. It's going to hurt somebody one day. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to hurt God. I'm going to do things that are going to be so painful. And the consequences are going to be so deep and so much for me that I'm not going to be able to know how to handle it. So when we feel conviction and pray for conviction, we should actually say thank you to God. So if you've got a faithful brother or your sister in your life, it's usually your husband or your wife. Amen spouses right they're really good at pointing out sin they're good mirrors in our lives right because they see us but if you've got a faithful brother or sister in your life that can say hey what's going on like clearly something's off with you don't get mad thank god thank god that you have people in your life that actually want you to walk a life with god when people say hey i, I don't i feel like something's different with you or I, I don't feel like i can trust you right now or why aren't you showing up to this place that you're supposed to be? Why aren't you coming into this fellowship? Why aren't you being where you're supposed to be? That's not a time for you to get defensive and get mad at people. That's a time for you to say, thank you, God, that you love me enough to send me someone that's going to make me just a little bit uncomfortable, that I might shine a light into my own heart by God that in, to avoid feeling a whole lot of uncomfortable by the things that are inside of me coming out. Nathan was God's grace to David. So I pray as we continue through this message that we're going to experience God's grace, that we're going to experience conviction from the Holy Spirit of the living God, that if there's something going on in your life that you know you need to change, that God has told you you need to change, that your spouse has told you you need to change, that your coworker has told you that you need to change, chances are you need to change. And we're going to pray that God would do something because of that. So now that David has seen the truth of his own brokenness, remember, point one is know and own your own sin. That, that this caused David to plead for inner transformation. Point number two is beg for inner transformation. The third stanza in verses 7 through 12, because the fruit of confession is conviction, right? That confession is the fruit that comes from that, that we say, okay, I've been found out. I need to confess. I need to get right with the Lord. I need to get my standing back right with God. Understanding that confession is the renouncing of our own wickedness and the embracing of righteousness that comes from God alone, that's mediated by God alone, when the convict surrenders to him, that when we've been convicted and we surrender of our sin, then we can embrace righteousness. This stanza begins, and point number two begins with verse seven, where David says, purge me with hyssop. Now, hyssop doesn't really have a cultural landing place for us today, but what it is, is it was a ceremonial or sacramental thing, right? So it was a, a branch, an herb that was leafy, that was used to spread blood onto uh, sacrifices. So 
Israel, when they were in captivity in Egypt, they used hyssop to paint the doorposts of their house so that when the angel of death passed over, that their house and their children would not be taken. Hyssop was used to purify a leper when they had been made clean and they were brought back into the fellowship. Hyssop was used uh, to make sure that all the sacrifices were used in a ceremonial way. After somebody had gone to a funeral and come in contact with the dead, they weren't actually allowed to come back into fellowship until they had been made clean. Hyssop is what was used to make them clean. So when David says, purge me with hyssop, he's saying, please, sacramentally, ceremonially, in every possible way, God, please, would you clean me? Would you wash me whiter than snow is what he continues on with verse 7. And then in verse 8, as David begins to move in this direction, he says he wants it to be as the hearing of joy and gladness. When joy and gladness are paired together in the scriptures, that means like a loud festival that you hear off in the distance. It's a loud and festal celebration. It's a big celebration when we hear of joy and gladness. So even before the forgiveness was given to David, he's saying, I want to hear of the celebration of my own salvation. I want to hear of the celebration of restoration. I want you to show me mercy, God. And the only way it's going to happen is verse 9, if you hide your face from my sin and you blot out all of my iniquity. So David moves from mercy, which is the passing over of sin, to grace, which is the gift of unmerited favor. And then verses 10, 11, and 12 happen. So what we're seeing here is that David begs for inner transformation, that he knows and owns his sin, and then he begins to beg for inner transformation. Why? Because he can't fix it. And that is where we all are, every single one of us. That if I can just get this right, then I'll be okay. Or I've heard so many times people will see me on the street and they say, Pastor, I just got to clean up this one thing and I'll be back to church. And I'll say, I'm not going to wait, right? You can't fix it. I can't fix my sin. We can't fix ourselves. We have to beg for inner transformation. Because of David's prayer of confession, and then he prays this in verses 10, 11, and 12, he wants a clean heart. He wants a right spirit. He wants the enduring presence of God, which all leads to the joy of his salvation. It upholds David with a willing spirit. We see this step-by-step process that is all God. It's God doing all of the work, right? It's not David saying, oh, I'm ready to clean up my life now. No, it is step by step. God cleanses David. God promises the fruit of joy. God expresses mercy. God expresses grace. God upholds David. God restores David. And then finally, David joyfully follows God after God has done all the activity to purify him. So point number one, know and own your sin. Point number two, beg for inner transformation. Church, when we think about confession and repentance, I think most of us think about the removal of sin. And the removal of sin is part of confession and repentance, but it does not paint the full picture that Psalm 51 paints. When, when we realize and we're knowing and owning our own sin and begging for transformation, the ultimate place of confession and repentance is when we can say, I can't do anything about it, God. I, I can't actually fix this, God. I need you to fix this, God. So David throwing himself at God's mercy, saying, you, you are righteous in your judgments. You are blameless in all your words. Anything that you want to do to me, you are right because I have sinned, because I've done all these terrible things. And this is why we have to understand 
that God is the only one who can do it. It's like when we remodel a house. You can only paint over the same wall so many times, right? And, and sooner or later, you got to strip all the paint off to get that wall looking right again. And if your house has bad studs on the inside, you got to tear the walls out, and you got to get the studs to, to be made right. If your house has a broken foundation or a cracked foundation, it doesn't matter how beautiful a house you build on top of it. It's going to crumble when that foundation gives way. But what true confession and repentance actually looks like is when we say, I can't do any of the demolition because I don't have those skills, that Holy Spirit of the living God, by the sacrifice of Jesus, and in your sovereign will and authority, Father in heaven, you come in and demolish the things in my life that need to be rebuilt. You come in and tear down all the things that I've built up that need to go away because you are the only one who can rebuild me. You are the only one who knows my transformation need so deeply that you can do it. And this is why in David's uh, joy of celebration here, it's the only reasonable conclusion for shining God's truth on our inward being is that we would appeal to Jesus' cleansing power. That we would say, Jesus, you saw my life. You saw everything I've ever done, and you went to the cross for me. That Jesus, my sin is ever before me. The consequences of my sin are deep and painful. Rachel and I just, just had a, a moment not long ago where something that happened over a decade ago kind of resurfaced and I was crying. Because the consequences of my sin are still ever before me. But I realized immediately, and I thank God that it only took me like eight minutes, but I realized immediately, like, I can't fix it. Thank you for the grace that I cannot fix it. So what do we do? We have to run to Jesus' sacrifice. That we have to know, know and own our sin, beg for inner transformation, and run to Jesus' sacrifice by responding as God convicts us, by responding with conf confession, by responding by pleading for inner transformation, by responding by never giving up responding, by responding that cleansing and joy comes through confession, following Jesus wherever he leads. And we get to our last stanza here, the fourth stanza, and point number three is celebrate God's salvation. So this is a step-by-step -step journey for how we can be restored from being separated from God by sin to being restored into the celebration of our salvation. David went through a terrible time, but as we see from Psalm 51, he begs for mercy. He asks God to fix it. And then he says, then I will teach transgressors your way. After you have cleaned me up, after you have done the work, then my life will be a living sacrifice. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will come back to repent from their wicked ways because my life once it's been cleaned up I didn't do the cleaning so I have a responsibility to the cleaning company that came in and made my house look different right I have a responsibility to tell other people about this amazing cleaning product that works wonders and you see infomercials about these things oxyclean that can remove any stain I'm talking about Jesus Jesus can remove every stain in our heart every stain on our life and we have a responsibility to tell people about it and to celebrate once we have experienced that. D David prays that God would open up his lips to proclaim praise. And then it turns into an issue of making a proper sacrifice. Verse 17 says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Now over the years, I think this verse has been misunderstood. That I don't have to fully repent for my sin or I don't have to do anything about it. If I'm sorry enough, God will forgive me. And that's not what this verse is saying. It, it's saying that I can't do anything to fix it. That I can't exchange my good behavior for God's forgiveness. 
that the only one who can do that is Jesus. He's the only one who can make me pure and holy and right and good. He is the only one who can do this, so I cannot do it myself. It's saying that no action of devotion can make us clean, because what happens when you try to do enough good things to outweigh your bad things, all that happens is you just begin to feel better about your sin. Your sin doesn't change, your feelings do. You start to feel better about the sin that still exists in your life when we haven't confessed and repented and received forgiveness and reconciliation. That's all that's happening. So this is why we need to celebrate. Not because we've overcome sin, but because God can overcome sin. This is why we need to gather together in our assembly to be a part of corporate confession. This is why we, each and every one of us, that if we can start to try to get right with God by Jesus' sacrifice alone, then our community changes. Then our fellowship changes. Then your marriages change. Then your household changes. Then your job changes. Then your school changes. Everything changes when we start to be made right with God by Jesus alone because he turns us into somebody who can sing his praises. He turns us into somebody who can celebrate despite all of the pain that we've experienced in the past, despite all of the things that we're going through even today, we can confess to God our sin. He will hear our confession, hear our prayer. He will make us new by Jesus' sacrifice and through repentance, we're reconciled back to a father because we are broken, every single one of us. No matter what we're going through, we're all experiencing this brokenness. So how we're going to finish today is we're going to sing a song called Nothing But the Blood. But before we start singing that song, I want to read Psalm 51 in its entirety to you. I want you to hear all of the things, word for word, that David said. And then I'm going to lead us in a little bit of a, an object lesson here. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered at your altar. As we read this journey, this step-by-step -step journey from our need for confession back into our celebration of salvation, I want to encourage everybody. Everybody has an index card and a little pencil on their seat. I want you to pull that out. Now, you can do a lot of different things with this, but I'm encouraging you to write a confession on this card. 
It can be one word. It can be a, a, a whole sentence. It can be a paragraph. If you need more cards, there's more cards out here. Whatever we need to do, I'm hoping that God would convict our hearts and that we would get right with him today. And what we'll do with this card is you can use it as a, a bookmark in your Bible on Psalm 51 if you want, or as we exit church, you know, we give our offerings at these two tables right back here. There's a box back there that you can put your confession into, and the prayer team will pray over every single one of these. And we will pray that you would be delivered from whatever this sin that is holding you down. We will pray that your confession would be heard and your restoration would be had by God. So I'm going to do that this service like I did last service. And I wrote something down on my card, and I want to do this in front of you because I want to show you what this feels like that I wrote healer on my card. That I think I have to do everything for everybody because God can't heal them. And I need to repent of that in front of you. That we need to look together to God for all of our healing because I can't fix it. I can't even fix myself, so how am I gonna fix my family? I can't fix myself, how am I gonna fix anybody else? So my confession today is that I'm confessing God as the healer. I'm confessing that whatever pain or hurt or heartbreak there is, that God can heal it. That God can do it in my heart, and I know he can do it in your life. So whatever it is for you, take this card, pray over this card. We're going to sing this song called Nothing But the Blood. And we started this service by singing a song where we say, Jesus overcame it all so he can do all of it. And we're closing this service by saying, there's nothing else other than the blood of Jesus that can offer us the reconciliation that we need in God. But we come together in this series called Assembly Required, building a case for the church because through corporate confession, we find cleanliness and we find joy. So if you are lacking joy, confess the sins that are on your heart. If you are lacking this feeling of closeness and pleasure with God, confess the things that are holding you away from God and holding you back from a true life, a full life of abundance here on earth and eternal life in heaven because this is how it always begins. It always begins with confession of my sin. And then Jesus sees that confession and he says, I've actually paid the price already. You don't have to try to do this on your own anymore. I paid for your penalty. And through that repentance comes salvation, that we can be saved today. If you have never heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ and you think you've got to fix your life on your own, I pray you'll be delivered today by the fruit that comes from conviction, which ultimately leads to confession, which leads to us being made whole as a church. So I want to invite everybody to stand to your feet. As we sing this song called Nothing But The Blood, I pray that you would believe it in a new way today that you won't be dismissed from church today. We're just gonna continue to worship. There will be a break in the song, and during that break, if you haven't already, write something down on your card. Drop it in that box on your way out as you give your offering. Put it as a bookmark in your Bible. Tape it to the windshield of your car. Put it on your refrigerator. But we have to do our work. We need to have all the work that we cannot do for ourselves. We need to invite Jesus to do it right now. So as I lead us in a time of prayer, I pray that God would convict our hearts and would lead us into a time of confession. Lord, I love you. Father, I thank you. Jesus, I trust you. Holy Spirit, I need you. So I pray today, right now, that because of your goodness, because of your sacrifice, that we, your people, that we might be able to understand the roadmap that Psalm 51 offers us. That we might be able to understand that we cannot clean up ourselves, we can't do it in our own lives, that we have to throw ourselves down at the mercy of a Father that sees everything we've ever done, thought, or will do, but still wants us. Thank you, Father, that you still want fellowship with me. 
and you've given us the way to experience it. You've given your son, Jesus, that I don't have to make my life right because Jesus and his sacrifice has paid my penalty and is making my life righteous before your eyes. That you don't see me as all my sins anymore. You see me clothed in Christ's righteousness. So today, right now, I pray for this your people, this your church, God. It's not my church. It's not Woodside's church. The church belongs to you, Jesus. We are your people, and we belong to a heavenly Father. So I pray that you would knit our family together right now, that you would lead us in a time of corporate worship and corporate confession, that we would be able to lament over the conviction and confession at our seats as we write it down on our card, and on the way out, we would be able to worship in celebration of the salvation that is offered, that you have forgiven us of our sins if we confess them and ask for your repentance, and we don't have to carry around that weight anymore, that we can release it into the prayer box. We can release it into our word. We can release it because you are covering it. So Lord, I love you. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that nothing but your blood can wash me white as snow. Nothing but your blood can remove my sins. Nothing but your blood can make me whole again. So as we sing this song, convict our hearts, O Lord, but offer us the celebration of our salvation. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. We ask in the name of Jesus. Let's worship together, church. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.